Open up your Bibles to 1 King uh, chapter 3. Um, let me put this away. We're going to be talking, talking, talking about the, um, the divided kingdom. And if you could uh, turn on the, the, um, the lapel, the handout. Thank you. Thank you. Perfect. Um, God, God has been working. Um, sorry. Let me just put that away. Um, and I got this table uh, I'm trying it out because now I'm carrying my Bible and I'm also carrying notes. And last time the, the stand over there was too small, so I couldn't put both of them. But now I'm able to, which gives me more room. Um, but we have been looking at this kingdom, right? We, that's what we've been spending time on. And today we're actually going to finish like the history part of the kingdom. We're going to finish looking at the Hebrew Bible um, Last time we met, we talked about David, King David, and he was a good king, but he was also a bad king. And God had made him a promise, remember, that there will be this promised one who would come and would have an eternal type of kingdom. Today we're going to wonder, we're going to think, is this kingdom here? Is the, has the kingdom arrived after David? We're going to see, at the, see the generations that followed David. Unfortunately, we're going to see that many of those kings didn't follow the good things that David did. Instead, the kingdom gets divided. The kingdom that was supposed to be a nation, a nation, a kingdom that was full of priests that would represent God upon earth. Instead, we see them that they become like the other nations and even worse. So we, t- we start today at, in 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 1. I hope you have that in your Bible. Um, and it says this. I'll be reading three verses, and then we'll pray. Solomon made an alliance with Pharaoh of Egypt and married his daughter. He brought her to the city of David until he finished building his palace and the temple of the Lord. And the wall around Jerusalem. The people, however, were still sacrificing at the high places because a temple had not yet been built for the name of the Lord. Solomon showed his love for the Lord by walking according to the instructions given by his father, David, except he offered sacrifices and burned incense. Right there where you're at, if you could close your eyes and bow your head and pray with me as we get ready to go into God's word. Heavenly Father, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your word, Lord. I pray that today you may encourage us through the Bible, that you may help us see see you in these pages, that this isn't just any book, but this is your loving word, and we believe that through it, our lives could be changed. Help us see, help us listen, and help us change. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen and amen. You may take your seat. So today we read a story about Solomon, David's son. We read a, a brief summary of his life. When we, when we read this, what, what do we feel? Do we feel that this is good, bad, okay? What, what do we feel about Solomon when we read this? Maybe we feel that this is good. Maybe it's good that David is following the 
footsteps, the steps of King David. But at the same time, while this appears to be something good, you should feel that this is bad. Solomon was using his wits. And in addition to using his wits, he would worship idols. But he used his wits to make allies. And that's not bad for itself, by itself, but he was using his wits against the word of God. Solomon had gone against the law of Moses. According to Donald J. Wiseman, this is what Solomon did. Solomon was not supposed to marry outsiders. He married the daughter of Pharaoh, the Egyptian king. He was not supposed to marry outsiders, especially for political purposes. Such arranged marriages were a common confirmation of international treaties. But this one was the beginning of Solomon's spiritual downfall. It illustrates the dangers of action based on political expediency. Expediency. Alone, And it was also contrary to the law, since it meant the acquisition of foreign gods. Unfortunately, Solomon, while he had wisdom, he, he followed the footsteps of, of David, he suffered the consequences of trusting on his wits and going against God's word. Yes, Solomon showed love to God. But he wrongly trusted in himself for political, military victory. He relied on himself instead of relying on God. Let's keep reading scriptures if you have your Bible open in the same passage. 1 Kings chapter 3. And we'll actually read verses 4 to 14. Um, This is a, a passage that we probably have heard of if we know who King Solomon was, the son of David. Um, It's a very popular passage. It's a story that we probably heard in Sunday school or or maybe a sermon before. But it goes like this. 1 Kings 3, 4. And it says this. The king went to Gibeon to offer sacrifices, for that was the most important high place. And Solomon offered a thousand burnt offerings on that altar. At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon during the night in a dream, and God said, Ask for whatever you want me to give you. Solomon answered, You have shown great kindness to your servant, my father David, because he was faithful to you and righteous and upright in heart. You have continued this great kindness to him, And have given him a son to sit on his throne this very day. Now, Lord, my God, you have made your servant king in place of my father David. But I am only a a little child and do not know how to carry out my duties. Your servant is here among the people you have chosen. A great people, too numerous to count or number. So give your servant a discerning heart to govern your people and to distinguish between right and wrong. For who is able to govern this great people of yours? Verse 10. The Lord was pleased that Solomon had asked for this. 
So God said to him, since you have asked for this and not for long life or wealth for yourself, nor have asked for the death of your enemies, but for discernment and administrating justice, I will do what you have asked. I will give you a wise and discerning heart so that there will never have been anyone like you, nor will there ever be. Moreover, I will give you what you have not asked for, both wealth and honor, so that in your lifetime, you will have no equal among kings. And if you walk in obedience to me and keep my decrees and commands as David your father did, I will give you a long life. Solomon has a dream. In his dream, Solomon talks to God. God tells Solomon, ask me whatever you want. Solomon first shows gratitude. You've been kind, God. You've continued in kindness. Then Solomon expresses humility. He said that he is just a little child. And what Solomon asked for was not something for himself. Rather, he wanted wisdom so that he could help others. This is good. This is something that we should follow. We should follow Solomon's example in our requests to share our gratitude to God, being thankful, God, you are kind to realize our impotence, that we are just little children. We're like little children in the eyes of God. And to ask, when we ask, we ask for things that will help others. Isaac of Nineveh, I quoted him last time. He was a Christian in the 400s, and he, he said this. Uh, he, he said this on the request that Solomon made. Do not be foolish in the request you make to God. Otherwise, you will insult God through your ignorance. Act wisely in prayer so that you may become worthy of glorious things. Ask for things that are honorable from him who will not hold back so that you may receive honor from him as a result of the wise choice your free will has made. He also said this, Solomon asked for wisdom, and along with it, he also received the earthly kingdom. For he knew how to ask wisely of the heavenly king, that is, for things that are important. I pray that we will follow this example, that we would pray wisely. God heard Solomon's request, and gave him what he requested. What's more is that God gave Solomon more than what he had asked for. God gave Solomon longevity of life, wealth, and honor. When you truly focus on others, God will take care of you. Now, let's focus on Solomon's wisdom. What kind of wisdom did he have? The type of wisdom that we see Solomon demonstrating, having, he, that he had received, is the type of wisdom that brings 
success and prosperity, which is required for leadership. Solomon understood life. He understood reality. He understood government. He understood politics. He understood how to administrate, how to plan. And he also was wise in architecture. Solomon was wise. He, was a, he had the ability to do things that we could only imagine doing. His greatest achievement probably was building this. If you could look up to the screen, this is Solomon's temple. And uh, I know that it's a bit blurry, but at least you could get an idea. And it was a beautiful, beautiful temple. Uh, this is something that King David wanted. King David wanted a place where God's people could come and worship the Lord. And I find the temple that Solomon built so interesting. I find the paintings that were within this building fascinating. Look, if you go to 1 Kings 6.32, you could look at it in the screen. It's just one verse. It says, and on the two olive wood doors, or on the doors, he carved cherubim, these angels. He also carved palm trees and open flowers and overlaid the cherubim and palm trees with hammered gold. So on these doors, there were, there were these palm trees and there were also these angels and they were covered with gold. Look at 1 Kings seven eighteen. This gives us another picture of the temple. He, Solomon, made pomegranates in two rows, encircling each networks to decorate the capitals on top of the pillars. He did the same for each capital. So there were trees, flowers, cherubim, and, and pomegranates. And what do these images remind us of? Well, they should remind us of the Garden of Eden. Because within the garden, there were trees, flowers, fruit. And then when Adam and Eve were expelled from the garden, there was the cherubim protecting the garden. And it was within this garden, if you remember in the first sermon, that God the King made his representatives. And they were supposed to rule over this earth together. Therefore, when the Israelites would walk into this temple, they would see the palm tree, they would see the fruit, and they would be reminded of this kingdom, of the beautiful scene of the Garden of Eden. And the temple was somewhat like the garden because within that temple, it was heaven on earth. It was God's rule on the earth. Solomon did do some good. But was he the promised one? The one, remember, that God told David he, said he would promise that there will be a son who would be like a son to God and God would be like a father to that son? Is Solomon the one, the promised one, who would have an eternal kingdom, a kingdom that would never cease? Unfortunately, the answer is no. We see the downward spiral that we saw in Genesis and Judges has begun again with Solomon. When Solomon built his great achievements, he used forced labor. Look at 1 Kings 4.6. 
Here he gives a list of people that worked for him. And one of the, one of the people uh, who worked for him, one of the persons, was Adon, Adoniram, son of Abda. And you could see that at the bottom half, he was in charge of forced labor. Solomon had somebody, this person, Adoniram, um, who would manage the forced labor, manage essentially slaves. This sounds like the horrific things that Samuel warned Israel about. Remember last time when the Israelites came to Samuel saying, we want a king like the other nation. Samuel said, you really want a king? He warned them because if a king comes, he's going to make you slaves. And we're seeing that unfold here with Solomon. Solomon had somebody who basically made a forced labor, made slave labor, basically. That's what it is. That's what's occurring here. So much work the Israelites had to do under Solomon. So much labor. Nothing is theirs. They have to give everything away. There is so much taxation. Things went wrong. Solomon, he loved God, but unfortunately, things went downhill with him. Tim Mackey, he's a modern scholar um, of the Bible. He's also the lead head from the Bible Project, which is a great resource that, uh, that is free on YouTube. And he, he says this about Solomon. Solomon had everything going for him. And none of the decisions from early in his reign seemed malicious or ill-intended. But slowly, as he went through life, his heart became insensitive. As a result, his great wisdom that once represented a divine gift, became an instrument for self-service and exaltation. It's a realistic depiction of the same character flaw we saw at work in the story of Saul. And I believe that this, there's a fill in the blank part within your notes, and it's this part. Self-deception is, by definition, impossible to spot on your own. You'll never see yourself going the road of no return. This is the case with Solomon. He didn't see himself going downhill, but slowly it happened. No one, Temeki continues, ever sets out to ruin their life on purpose. No one does it. No one's out there. I'm just going to mess up my life. No. And certainly not to ruin anyone else's, but it happens all the time, and it happens slowly. Solomon had messed up slowly. It just crept up on him. Despite starting so well, despite building the temple of the Lord, because of how terrible he was, he suffered, and his people suffered. If we are not careful, evil can creep 
on us just as it did with Solomon. Therefore, we should be proactive. We should be careful. We should try to fight this evil, evil tendencies that creep up on us. Let's not be passive, but let's be proactive upon this and know that these sins could happen slowly. If we don't, we will hurt ourselves. This evil will creep upon us and we will hurt ourselves and hurt others just like Solomon did. Solomon's downfall was the beginning of the downfall of the kingdom of Israel. In the next generation, the nation of Israel split. Here's a picture of what that split looked like. Um, You can see that there's the northern part and the southern part. Um, This split occurred because the king after Solomon would not loosen up the taxes. And as you can see, the, the top part is called now Israel. They took that name, the kingdom of Israel, and the, that's the northern kingdom. In the southern kingdom, they took the name Judah. Then, uh, eventually, the north was overtaken by Assyria because the kings of the north were horrible. And you could see that in the following slide. Um, this slide right here, you could see Assyria that they took over all of um, basically the, the northern kingdom. And you could see at the very bottom that Judah still remained. The reason that Judah still remained, that it was still there, is that God was protecting Judah. There were still some good kings there. And, uh, um, but eventually, the entire nation got pretty, pretty messed up, especially with King Manasseh. Let's go to 2 Kings 21, 1 through 2. 2 Kings 21, 1 through 2, and we'll spend our time in 2 Kings 21. And it says this. Manasseh was 12 years old, that's pretty young, when he became king. And he reigned in Jerusalem 55 years. His mother's name was Hephzibah, verse 2. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord. That phrase comes up regularly within the scriptures. That should light up, come in our head, think about the judges who did evil, think about the Garden of Eden where Eve did evil. And he did did evil by following the detestable practices of nations the Lord had driven out before the Israelites. What kind of evil did he do? If you continue reading in that same chapter, verse 4 and 6, it tells us what kind of evil that he did. He built altars in the temple of the Lord, of which the Lord had said in Jerusalem, I will put my name in the temple that God was supposed to be for God. There were other temples, other altars for other gods. There's some archaeology that's pretty neat that they find sometimes the God of Baal, an altar for the God of Baal right next to the altar for the God of Yahweh. It's crazy how evil this nation had become where within the temple, within the, basically what 
how we would see a church, there was an altar for another God. And this was all because the king, Manasseh, had put this altar there. Verse 5 says, In the two courts of the temple of the Lord, he built altars to all the starry host. He's making altars for the stars. And verse 6, this, this gets to me, and it's so, it's so sad. He sacrificed his own son in the fire, practiced divination, sought omens, and consulted mediums and spiritists. He did much evil in the eyes of the Lord, arousing his anger. It's crazy how sad and, and the, the tragedy that took place with Israel. Israel, the delivered nation from Egypt, a nation that was supposed to be a kingdom of priests, a holy nation, fell into idolatry and eventually ended up, a lot of the kings, a lot of the Israelites ended up sacrificing their own children for idols. And God became mad, angry. He wanted to show justice and judgment. Of course, this would happen. God would get mad at this. Of course it would. Who wouldn't get mad at a king sacrificing his own son for idols? This is disgusting and sad. Consequently, God used Babylon, this other nation that came to power, he used this nation to bring judgment to the entire kingdom of Israel. God as king brought judgment and justice. As we finish the history of the Hebrew Bible, there's still other parts, but for the series, we will be ending the history part here. Uh, go to 2 Kings, the very end of 2 Kings, um, the last chapter, I believe. It's actually, we're going to be looking at the first verse, 2 Kings 25, 1. And it says this. So in the ninth year of Zedekiah's reign, he was the last king of, of Judah um, before the um, conquest, Babylonian conquest. On the tenth day of the tenth month, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, marched against Jerusalem with his whole army. He encamped outside the city and built siege works all around. The story ends in a sad way. We finished much of the Hebrews Bible's history. Next time we will meet, I'm excited, we're going to talk about the prophets and that's pretty exciting, it's hopeful and it shows us more of not what actually happened but what they were thinking and that's kinda neat and what God was saying to them. Uh, lately we've been just looking at a narrative, a historical narrative and now we're gonna look at the dialogues that the, the prophets had during this time, but it gives us this, this historical survey, this historical approach, gives us a setting so we could understand what the prophets were saying. We finished much of this, the Old Testament, the Hebrew Bible. Next time we meet, we will look at the prophets and we will spend some time there. Mainly we'll look at Isaiah. But with the end of Kings, I want us to look at this picture. It's a, it's a clip from the Bible Project, a picture clip. And I like this picture because we just ended. And 
this is the question that we should have in our mind. Is God done with Israel? And David's lying. God had made a promise to David about this kingdom of, would, that would be established for all of eternity. And now we see that there is a king, there's still a king, but this king is like a prisoner. He, he's under Babel, under Nebuchadnezzar. And we're left with these questions. What, what is Israel going to do? Is there any hope? It doesn't look like it, but at least the king is still alive and somehow being preserved. In our series, we've seen most of the history of the Hebrew Bible, and we will look at the prophecies next time. But for now, let me leave with you this hopeful idea. God is faithful, and even if it doesn't look like it, even if it looks like Everything has ended. The kings became horrible. We are conquered by other enemies, even in that setting. God will fulfill his promises about the kingdom. The kingdom that he has made, to, the promises that he has made to Adam, Eve, Abram, and David. He will be faithful, even though kings and Israel did horrible things and Israel was captured, God will fulfill his promises and his promises have been fulfilled. Thousands of years later, we know that God has fulfilled his promises because we know that God's promises were fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And we will spend more time going forward, and we're going to now focus on Jesus Christ slowly. And I'm excited for this time where we're leaving history. I love history, but now we're transitioning to a different genre, which will help us see Jesus as Lord. Right now, we're getting a sense, where is this king? Where is this king? But this king is coming, and he has come now that we look back. Let us pray as the worship team gets ready. Um, Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your grace. Sometimes things could look like, like the setting, the circumstances that the Israelites were in. Sometimes it looks like that the enemy has us captured. Sometimes it looks like maybe like Solomon, we're having victory, but over a couple years we start messing up. And then we worry God, are you still in control? God, do you still want to partner with us? God, are you still faithful to your promises? And we know that you are. Even if we can't see it right now, God, we have faith. We believe in you that your faithfulness will, will carry us forward. We trust in you. And we believe in you. In Jesus' name, amen.